At one level, Mary must have expected that this was going to happen. Perhaps she recalled Simeon's words to her when Jesus was born. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, he was to say to Mary. Perhaps she is recalling these words as she looks up at her firstborn. This is what Simeon was talking about. Then Jesus addresses her and John next to one another. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. A crucified man had the right to make a last will and testament known even from the cross. Jesus had nothing to declare. He had they had taken his clothes and those which could be separated. They divided in fours. A tunic was woven, so they cast lots to give that to one of the soldiers. He had nothing left, but he had a responsibility to take care of his mother. And he entrusts her to John's care. Jesus' relationship with his mother has been complex. There is a movie out about the young Messiah but based on what we really know about Jesus, it should be a very short movie. We just don't know a lot about Jesus growing up. There's legends and stories, but little that we actually know. We do know that he remained at the temple when he was 12, and that his parents had to come back to look for him. And then what we hear, then he went back down to Nazareth with them, it says in Luke, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So Jesus was obedient, but Mary throughout her life, thought of what was said about her son, made room for it in her mind, contemplated it. After his baptism, Jesus began to travel with his disciples, and it's clear that his family was both concerned and confused by his actions. We read in Mark, Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. They were very concerned about their older brother. The brothers were, and Mary was concerned about her son. They thought he was crazy, so they take off to try to take charge of him. And what we read, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. Now, a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. This confused them. must have felt at one point like a slap in the face. The fact was, he had just that evening before selected his disciples, and his father entrusted these twelve and passed that others into his care, and they were his priority now, not his family. Although Jesus understood this, his family didn't. This scene is a year and a half later. Um, I'm sure Mary thought this was the end of everything. It was only the beginning. He rose after three days, and in so doing, he opens the door to heaven for her and for everyone else who believes. And heaven is where we get all that we ever need. I'll tell you a story. I'll get out to the side a little bit.
years ago. It was a village in a desert land. In this dry land, there was very little water. It seldom rained, but when it did, people scurried about, capturing what they could in buckets and pots. Every drop was like purest gold. But even though the land was dry, the people were never thirsty. And nearby lived a kind man named Tobias, who owned a deep wellspring from which poured clear, cool water. The people called Tobias the water master, and they loved him very much. He shared his treasure with everyone in the village. All they had to do was ask, and the water master would gladly let them dip into his well. Drink all you want, he offered. Not only did Tobias share from his well, but he taught his son to do this also. Tobias and his son Julian would help the people dip their buckets and carry their loads. Day after day, the people would come to the well. Tobias would smile and say, take all you need. He would talk to the people about their lives. He would laugh with them and inquire about their hopes and dreams, while Julian helped them draw water for their families. Tobias was a kind friend, always ready to help the villagers. One day, the water master announced to the village, my son and I are going away for a while. And while we're gone, my servant Elsevier will watch over the well. He will give you all the water you need. With that, the watermaster and his son turned and walked up the road leading from the village. The people were sad to see them leave, but they trusted Elsevier to supply their needs. And indeed, Elsevier did just as the watermaster said. Each day when the village, villagers came to ask for water, he eagerly filled their buckets. As he did, he told the people, take all you need. There's plenty of water for all. And for a time, the village went about its business as usual. But then one day, Elsevier noticed that the villagers were not grateful when they received their water. They just took their full buckets and raced away without one word of thanks. This troubled Elsevier so much that he decided to stop giving water to everyone. He forgot the water master's kindness for all. Instead, he announced to the villager, from now on, I will not give water to those who aren't thankful. The people were surprised. After Elsevier's announcement, all the villagers tried hard to remember to thank him when they received the water. Sometime later, Elsevier noticed that some of the people were unkind to their neighbors and mean to their animals. Again, the substitute water master was bothered. He determined to give water only to nice people. If you are mean to your animals or unkind to your neighbors, you will get no water in a The people worked hard to please Elsevier so they wouldn't go thirsty. But as time passed, the taskmaster continued to find some new fault with the people. You are too busy. You are too lazy. You're not quick enough or smart enough or pretty enough. With each decision, fewer people were given water.
Over time, the villagers grew sad and angry. How can we ever be good enough for Elsevier? They questioned. We'll all die of thirst, they cried. As Elsevier's gruels grew longer, the line for water grew shorter. The people growing thirsty began to give up. No use, the people cried. We can't please you. In the midst of the shouting, a quiet figure approached the gathered villagers. Elzevir eyed the man suspiciously. Another thirsty soul, no doubt, he growled. Can you show that you are worthy of this water? The man quietly strode to the well and turned to the people. I've come to help you, he said. Elzevir was angry. Just who do you think you are? The man removed his cloak, and the villagers gasped. When they saw the familiar face, they began to whisper among themselves, I am Julian, son of the watermaster. My father sent me to share the water with all the people. At that, people cheered. Elzebir became afraid. The villagers wanted revenge. No water for Elzebir, they shouted. The son held up his hand to the crowd to quiet them. My father's water is a gift to all, he said patiently. But Elzebir was cruel to us. I know he was. But if water were given only to good people, who could drink? No one spoke. The son placed his hand on Elzevir's shoulder. Freely you have received. Freely give. The people looked at each other and were silent. They knew the son's words were wise and true. And so from that day on, Elzevir was forgiven and the water was shared freely. Water is a basic need, and God uses water to symbolize his influence in our lives. Uh, here's what Jesus said once, and he said in a loud voice, but I won't yell. It was in the middle of a feast at the last day of it. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus said this in a loud voice. And what he could see is the place where thoughts about God lived in people's minds was dry and dusty. And his offer was very simple. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Only have to do a couple of things if you're thirsty. And if the place where you think about God is dry and dusty, you have to be thirsty, come to Jesus, and drink. And yet, while some came, many did not. I wonder why. What makes it hard to go around with parched thoughts about God? Um, it doesn't seem, it, for them, Jesus was right there. So it wasn't hard to come to him. Um, drinking is pretty easy. 
we do it instinctively. You know, drinking problem doesn't mean that you, you kind of go like this. If there's thirst and there's fluid, that's natural. Admitting thirst is harder than we might think. I think that's the tough part. Um, it says in the Bible, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own wells, their own cisterns, broken cisterns. They cannot hold water. There's two kinds of sin, and every kind of sin can go under one of these two categories. Forsaking the spring of living water and digging a leaky cistern. Um, this is a spring. A spring, this is naturally occurring. It looks really round. Maybe they dug it out, but this is fed by underground. It's, it's a continual source of water because it's, felt, it's fed by water coming underneath. Um, this is a cistern, and you'll notice the hole in the ceiling, and that's there for a purpose because when it rains, the rain fills the cistern, so this cistern doesn't have a supply in the bottom. It requires rainwater, and when and if these things were leaky, they're not very good sources of water. They're not very, uh, can't depend on them. Um, this is what God is like, an inexhaustible supply of water. If you live near a spring, you never have to worry about being thirsty. I think I told you once that I, when I, I lived in north of Boston, about 12 miles north in a town called Saugus, and I lived on Vine Street. And you, when you were thirsty, you walked down the street, and about maybe a quarter of a mile, half a mile away, there was Ludwig's Cleaners that had really cold Coke. And if you had money, you'd go to Ludwig's Cleaners, who so would get on our bike and go to Ludwig's Cleaners. I can still kind of smell the dry cleaning smells and go in there. It was really cold. And sometimes when there was clothes and you didn't have money, what you did, you kept on riding your bike. And so you ride your bike now down maybe another half a mile, and you take a right going in toward the high school. It's a it's a street that has it's not a dead end, but it comes to a little bridge, so there's not many cars on it. And you walk over the short bridge, and then there is a crook, a real brook that just not a bunch of water. But when you walk over the bridge and you're over the crook, and now the high school is right there. You can see it. You you turn and you go right on the bank. The bank is just graded and and out we somebody found this thing. There's a spring, so ice cold water coming right out of the side. At least I hope it was clean water. They say that unclean water can cause hair problems. <laughs> but we, what you do, you 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 get down, you scoop and you scoop. Uh, it was it was a it was a spring. Um, God is an inexhaustible supply. And rather than come to God with our thirst and learn to drink, we keep our thirst to ourselves. We try to get other people to satisfy our needs. We try to depend on leaky cisterns to satisfy our need for water. And this is what sin is about when we forsake the spring and dig cisterns that end up leaking. But this is why Jesus came. He went to the cross to provide all we ever need. Sometimes in this world, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem like God cares. 
like more bad things are happening, that God, if he was concerned, surely would do something. And we think, I wonder if he really does have my best interests in mind. Mary might have thought of this briefly. If she did, it didn't last long. Three days later, her son walked out of the grave, and when she died, he his was the first face that she saw, which brings us to communion. Jesus died so that we can have eternal life in heaven. I'm not sure if you knew this. I looked at this. The Hebrew word for heaven, the root word comes from the word for water. Water. It says in Revelation, it's what it says about what it's going to be like on that side of eternity, what Mary understands, what Jesus understands, and what we will understand through faith in Christ is what it says. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Brings us to communion. God has promised to provide um, all we need, and that's really what we celebrate. It doesn't always seem that way. And I think that's why Jesus has us remember him in this way. Remember why he came. The promises that he will keep, both in this life and eternally into the next. Devin's going to come on up. Come on up, Devin. And he's going to sing, and as he sings, we'll go back to the back. The table is back there. Grab the element. Grab the juice and the bread. And as you do so, think about water. Think about springs and cisterns and about a God that came to give all that you ever need. Let's take a quiet moment, Father, and think about what you'd have us to think about, which is the love that you have for us and the way that you demonstrated it, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That tells us about the character of your love that comes and meets us where we are. Therefore, there's nothing that gets in the way of it. On this side of eternity, we live in the midst of things, and some things feel like grief. There's joy, but there's grief, and they are kind of intermingled. And you would have us understand that that is true of this life, but not the next. And you would have us live in the light of eternity. So I thank you for Easter, and thank you for the Friday that preceded it and what accomplished. You opened the doors to heaven, and on Easter you broadcast that that was, in fact, what happened. And there is eternity. There is eternal existence. And heaven will be a place where we'll have all that we need, and you would have us think about that. Think about the fact that you open the doors of heaven to us by sending your Son because you want us there. You invite us there. You call us yourself there. And that's what you want us to think about. And thinking about where we're going to be a hundred years from now helps us to live for you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.